Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Dental Assistant Nation podcast. We are coming to you live from the greater New York dental meeting today. My name is Kevin Henry. I'm honored to be the host of this podcast, and I'm honored to be joined today by Dr. Michael Sonic. Dr. Sonic, how are you today? Good. Thank you for having me on, Kevin. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for being on. You know, I know what that you have written a, a book, Treating People, Not Patients. And I know that we are going to talk a lot about that today in the dental assistance role with that. But certainly, uh, if you don't mind giving a short uh, introduction to yourself for our audience before we begin. Sure. Happy to. Um, I'm a full-time practicing periodontist in Fairfield, Connecticut. I've been in practice since 1985. And I've also been involved in education. I teach at NYU, University of Connecticut School of Dental Medicine, uh, as well as Yale University. Uh, and I've been doing that since I started in, in practice. And I'm curious, what was it that had you write this book? What was the genesis behind that? Well, I come from a hospitality background. And the book is called Treating People, Not Patients. And it's all about you know bringing hospitality to healthcare, not just dentistry, but any healthcare provider. If you've been to the dentist or doctor yourself anywhere, you know that the, the care that you get is, is, not, is not the greatest. I just got an email this morning from one of my colleagues, uh, Carla Montera, who says, you know, I wish they had your book at Yale New Haven Hospital. My dad was in the emergency department all night and I, I didn't get very good care. And, you know, she's read the book. She's in my study club. She, she's involved in it. And I think one of the one of the things that I dislike more than anything else in the world, and I say to my, this to my audiences because I speak to a lot of dentists, dental assistants, hygienists, is that I dislike calling a doctor's office. Um, dentists are a little bit better than physicians, but not much. You know, I get put into a phone tree. I got to be put on hold. I got to listen to how great you are. One of the things is like, it's the end of the year. I want you to use your insurance benefits before December 1st, end of December, so we can get you in. And by the way, we're great at doing this. We're great at doing this. So I'm on hold listening to how great a doctor is for about four minutes, only to be told that, well, he's busy treating patients and he can't pick up and see you right now. Because when's a good time for him to call you back? And I go, well, now would be a great time if he got on the phone because I just waited four and a half minutes. So I try never to call a doctor's office. And um, I have other ways of doing that. We can talk about communication if you want in a second. But why did I write this? Well, COVID was my impetus. But um, I mean, my my whole life I've been involved in service. My dad had his own business. He was an engineer, but he, he he sold furniture. I delivered furniture. I sold furniture. I was a lifeguard where I had to give customer service on the beach, repairing, you know, fixing people's feet and things like that. But my true my true experience came working restaurants. So I was a bartender. I played cocktail piano. Um, I was a waiter. I was a short order cook. And I learned from a lot of people in restaurants about how to give good care, good service. And, you know, I like going to restaurants. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love food. I like to cook. I like to go out. And that whole experience is very important. And for whatever reason, I opened up my practice in 1985. And I opened it up and I looked at a restaurant that was next door. It's called Centro. It's still there. But we were like, we're 150 yards from each other. We both opened the same year. We're both still in practice. And I looked at them and they were making pasta in the windows of their shop. And then they had this, these special dinners where you could buy different types of pasta, different types of sauces. And you come in and you can, you can get that for $20. I thought that was a cool concept. And I thought to myself, how long is this restaurant going to be there? So that was 43 years ago. I'm still there. They're still there. And every time I go in there and I still eat there, it's great. I, you know, I, and I'm, I'm drawn to the place. And I started to look at how restaurants run their practices. 
I started in like clothing businesses. I started going into clothing store, men's haberdasheries and that type of stuff because the really good ones, you know, were, were stayed in business. Now, you know, there's only about a hundred stores right now, private, private department stores in the country. They're all gone. They've all been bought by the big box stores. You don't see many of them anymore. And in my town, there's a store called Bill Mitchell's or Ed Mitchell's. It's been there. It's the third, fourth generation. And when I walk in there, and I don't shop there very often, but when I walk in, they go, Dr. Sonic, can I get you this? Can I get you this? It's like I walked in there once. I walked in there once to buy a tie to go to a wedding because I didn't have one. It's the biggest mistake I ever made. I was like in practice two years. I had no money. I walk in to buy a tie, and I walk out with a $2,000 Canali suit. I couldn't afford the suit. It wasn't even my style, but they made me feel so good about myself that I put the suit on, and then I started lecturing in the suit. I talked about the value of good customer service. So. I think it's really important to do that. And you can't really do that without a team. I can't do what I do unless I have a team. So every now and then I live on less than a mile from my office. So one of the things that I do is I try to provide really good, good customer service to my patients. So if someone calls me on a Sunday, I have no problem going into the office, seeing them. It takes me 15 minutes, two miles, it's less than a mile from my house. And it's a wow experience for the patient. So I may take an x-ray and look at them. Now that, 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 that visit, when I have my team there, it's probably about a two-minute visit for me. I'm in and out. I do. I see the patient. They're gone, and they get taken care of. When I go in there by myself on a Sunday, it's a two-hour visit because I got to find the instruments. I got to take the x-rays. I got to turn on the computer. I got to go in there. So I can't do what I do without a team. And in my book, I have a whole chapter on team building and how you build a great team. And I have a I have phenomenal team. Now, as you know, because you, you teach a lot to both assistants and dentists, one of the things dentists will probably frequently say to you, he goes, I love doing the dentistry. I just can't stand my staff. Well, that's number one. They're not your staff, they're a team. And they're volunteers. They can leave whenever they want. We happen to pay them, but they don't stay unless they're happy there. And why are they happy in your office? They're happy in your office if they're respected and they're given something that's greater than themselves to do, a purpose. And I empower my entire team to do whatever they need to do. I want them to make mistakes. That's the only way they're going to grow. I don't want them to hurt people, but they're allowed to make mistakes. If they ordered the wrong product, that's that's not a big deal. We'll just return it and get something else. So my team is extremely important. And I don't look at myself as being like, you know, I'm the doctor, you're second class citizens. You know, I happen to be privileged enough to be in a family where I was encouraged to go to school. And I was lucky. Most of my assistants, if they were born into my family, I'd be working for them because my assistants are really smart. They just didn't get the opportunity that I got because of my parents, you know, both of my parents, you know, went to college and that wasn't common. You know, I'm 70 years old, you know, 40, 50 years ago, most people's parents did not always go to college. That was like a big deal. And education was important. They really didn't give me a choice. They said I had to go to school and I had to get educated. And I had to get a profession. You know, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a, uh, <laughs> I want to be a piano player and an actor. That's probably why I teach. And they go, no. My mom said to me, she goes, you know, you're going to be a piano player. You'll be playing at the local bank, you know, from 12 o'clock to one o'clock. And the blue haired ladies will be listening to you. That's going to be your gig. And you know something? I go into these banks and I go into hotel lobbies. You walk into any hotel lobbies. If there's a piano player there, they're phenomenal. And they're sitting in a hotel lobby. You know, that's their gig. It's, you know, they don't make it. So it's a good thing I, I, I did go to school. But my, my, one of my main assistants, Amelia, She's brilliant. She grew up in Poland. We have 20, about 24 people in our office. Half of them were born in other countries and they didn't grow up in wealthy homes. They grew up where, you know, their parents were just eking out a living. 
when it comes to work, one of the things that I think I'm very proud of is I provide a culture in our office where our team can really build and they can grow. And guess who benefits? Everybody. They do. Our patients do. I do. Now, we have a thing in our office called the little things. And it's like all the things that we do. It's about eight or nine pages. It's probably about five, six hundred things that we do. And it's like, you know, the person that comes first in our office is not the patient. It's my team. My team is more important than our patient. If there's a problem in the office and, and the patient is wrong, I'm sorry. I'm supporting my team. And I'll come right to the front desk. And go, you can't do that because they're in the front lines. They usually don't give me a hard time when I say they, you know, people, patients, because I'm a doctor, but they still will, but not as much as they do. And they're right up there at the front lines getting it. And so I have to support them. And I try and I and I try to I try to talk to every team member in my day. I may go out of my way to say, hey, great job. Thank you. I just sent them a thank you note, you know, today. I sent them to the whole staff. I go, thank you. I was gone for four days. I asked them to clean up the office because we, they were both the doctors were at a meeting, came back, it was spick and span, and I didn't say anything to him because it was busy. And I said, you know, I didn't say, I didn't compliment him. Well, it was great. So I sent out a letter today. I go, my apologies. I didn't compliment you last week. Great job. It's, it's, it's great to come back to a clean office like this because that's really very important. So when I talk to my team, I talk about the importance of everybody being great at their job. And I also often use sports analogies and oftentimes football. Now, if you have a quarterback of a team, it might be Tom Brady. He's, you know, he's great. Everyone talks about Tom Brady or Mahomes or something, but I'll tell you something. You don't have a good left tackle protecting your blind side. You're not making any passes. And if your receiver can't catch it and somebody can't block, you know, and if you don't, you know, you don't have like one of, one of, one of the tight ends blocking for that, that wide receiver, they're not going to score a touchdown. You don't score a touchdown. They're not making a bonus. They're not getting to the Super Bowl. My, there's no weak link in my team. I can't have a weak link. If my assistant doesn't do a great job doing something, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a mistake. You know, I can make a mistake very easily. You know, if I grab something that, you know, if I grab the wrong anesthetic or the wrong glove or something, now we check, we have a check for all that, but it's really critical that they all do a great job. Now, the thing about assistance is they're not all equal, but they're all unique. So everybody on my team has a unique ability. So one assistant used to work in the front desk and uh, her name's Danielle. And she's like the nicest person. And they fired her up front. They go, we can't take her. She's messing up. She's not putting appointments in. She's forgetting things. Now, Daniel is forgetful. She knows it. It's obvious. But what she also is, is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. And she has a huge heart. I remember once a patient, you know, this is going to make Roche out a little bit, but a patient came in without a shoe on. And he, had, and he says, I go, where's your shoe? He goes, I can't wear a shoe because my toenail is ingrown. And Daniel was in the office and she got down. And she cut his toenail right there in the dental chair. Now, who would do that? Someone throws up. Daniel has no problem dealing with it. Someone's anxious. She's dealing with it. So I said to my team in front, I go, send her to me because I don't want to fire anybody. Because there's always some something in my, my office that somebody can do as long as they're willing to work hard. They have a good heart. They have integrity. Those are important things. And she had all that. She just wasn't. She was a little forgetful. She is the one person that I go to when I have a difficult patient, a management problem. They need to be made feel, they made me feel good. And she brings so much joy. She's one of my favorite people to work with. And she's been there 12 years now. And she was fired like 11 years ago at the front desk. So every team member has a unique ability. What's my unique ability? I happen to know how to do surgery and I create a vision. And I'm a, and I, and I, and I, and I'm a big, you know, I, I'm a big cheerleader for everybody. Those, that's my, my area. I'm not good with the Excel spreadsheet. 
not that good with numbers. You know, I also keep the place really clean. I'm good with that. But that, but a lot of things I don't know how to do. I don't know how to take x-rays. I don't know how to sterilize instruments. I don't know how to call insurance companies. I don't do any of that stuff because I'm not good at it. But I have people there to do it. And everybody has a specific job. Amelia has been with me for 13 years. She's phenomenal about staying organized. Liz has been there with me for 23 years. All the ordering does. Liz is a cheapskate. She doesn't like to spend any money. She's perfect. She's always beating people up and she always has everything there. So every teammate, I find what their unique ability is and we plug them in. And if this job doesn't work here, we find another job for them to do. So team is essential. Uh, I love my team and I really do. I think one of my favorite things to do as a, as a dental practitioner is build a really cohesive team that can keep everybody running smoothly. And in our practice, we have uh, we have over 3,000 five-star reviews. They're not, they're not reviewing me. They're usually reviewing one of my teammates. Thank you so much for submitting insurance. Thank you so much for going above. We don't take insurance in our office, but we submit it. And we give phenomenal customer service to the insurance companies and the patients that they serve. I think the biggest thing that I take away from that is obviously you give your you put them in the right place, but you also give them the latitude, as you said, to learn. And if they make a mistake, it's okay, as long as they're not hurting somebody. But still, you know, I'm curious that you talk so, at so many dental meetings. And so I know that there are dentists out there who don't have the same viewpoint that you do. How, how can the assistants kind of bring in this people, not patients mindset into their practice if the dentist maybe doesn't see things? That's a struggle. When you're not in charge, you know, you know, it's like, uh, how, can you, how can you change? Whenever I go into a grocery store and I see disgruntled employees, it's not the employees. I look for the boss, you know, and I, and I usually see him and he's the one who's really not in a great mood. One of my patients is Stu Leonard, who owns a chain of very successful grocery stores. He does a, like a half billion dollars a year in business. And I said to Stu, I said, you know, how do you, uh, how do you motivate your team? He says, it's the culture of the, of the office. And it's hard to change culture when you're not in charge. And that's, that's difficult. So how can the assistants bring that or the, you know, the team members bring it? Usually doesn't come. Usually starts from above. You know, it's, it's, it's like the president of the United States, how much control do they have? I mean, they bring an attitude and we always say what a president does. The president doesn't do much at all. They just bring a certain culture to the country. And when there's a different culture, we, we all sort of feel it, you know, especially now with social media, you know, something happens like, are we feeling this if we're, if we're looking at it? And they're not doing anything to us. They're just sitting up there. They, they, send, they send a couple of tweets out and all of a sudden they control everybody's mood, which is, which is amazing. The dentists do the same thing. So how do you bring an awareness? You, well, you can talk about it. You can have one-on-ones with the doctor. Uh, my partner, Raymond and I, we have what we call an open door policy. Um, I give my cell phone and my emails to everybody, you know, including patients. So you come in and talk to me. If, if, I pay, if they have a problem in the office, um, I, I, I usually never get involved. I don't really, I don't moderate anything or mediate anything. We have a forum for it. They, they, they write down what happened, what their part is and what happened. They usually figure it out. But I just, I just sort of set the tone. So how do you, how as an assistant, can you do that? I mean, you can give them my book. Are they going to read it? Maybe. Um, we have a series of videos that we, that we have on online. There's, there's 10, 15 minute videos. And each video covers a different aspect of what we were just talking about from how do you put on a show? How do you communicate? How do you talk? Neuro-linguistic programming. How do you set up decor? How do you hire? How do you practice with integrity? What does that all mean? And as a workbook. And I, and I strongly urge offices to buy this workbook 
uh, not because I make a lot of money because I don't from the workbook. Um, and it's like $500, but it's, it gives you four hours of material. There are 10, 15 minute modules and each module comes with a, a workbook um, and a series of questions. And so people ask, how do we put this in our office? I said, schedule 10 weeks in a row or every two weeks, make it 20 weeks, do it over three or four months uh, and spend one hour a week. Watch a 15-minute video, hand out the workbook to everybody, have everybody fill it out for 15 minutes, and then spend 30 minutes talking about it. And you start to look around your office, and this is my book, and then I don't know if people are seeing this, and I have a workbook, but on the back of the workbook, they'll have um, a series of questions. And it'll say, like, what stands out? What stands out about the story? What could you change in your office? Do you look around your office? What can be changed? What's not clean? Are there plants dying? Or is there, car, is there trash in the parking lot? Is the parking lot have cracks in it all over? Are people having to back over bumps like that? Do you have a nice floor mat outside? Is it neat? What kind of music do you play? Are you playing nice music in the area? What does your office smell like? Do you have aromatherapy? Do you have candles in your office? Do you, what does your bathroom look like, which is one of the most important rooms of your office? Do you have scents in the bathroom? Do you have scents of soap? Use Williams-Sonoma creams and hand soaps. It's very inexpensive. Do you have a series of toothbrushes out there and different toothpastes they can take? You know, and do you have toilet seat covers? I mean, something very as simple as that. It's just a little thing. But it, do you have paper towels? I mean, because I go into offices and, you know, even in my own office, I am like like the, the chairman of culture in our office. And I, I wasn't there for a, um, I wasn't there for a week and I came back. And I noticed that there was one paper towel on, on, on the sink. I look at the paper towel dispenser and it's locked and you can't, and, and I, it's empty. So I said to my team, I go, what's going on? They go, someone lost the key. I go, so what are we doing about it? They go, well, we're, we bought a new power dispenser. This is in my own office. So I said, yeah, but how are you going to put it up there? Because you can't take the one off the, off the wall unless you have a key. They go, well, we're looking for it. I go, how long have you been looking? I go, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This is all going on. So, okay. So I, I've got I got I got 15 years of postgraduate post high school education, and I'm the one who has to come up with a solution after eight or nine days. And I, I look at I look at the staff members, and they lo- they lost it with me at the, at the morning meeting. So they go, "You're always coming down to them." So I called the I called staff member, and I go, "What's going on?" They go, well, and I knew what's going on. She had a problem with the boyfriend and a problem at home. So I said, uh, I, "I said we just got to fix the towel dispenser." She goes, "I don't know what to do." I said, "How about calling Carpolo Lock?" Locksmith, can I do that? I go, yeah. It'll take us like 15 minutes. It'll cost us $45 and it'll be fixed. She goes, but the cart, it's not that, just do it. Okay, that was at 10 o'clock. At 10.30, the tower dispenser was full. It was working. And now we have a tower dispenser in the back room that I got to return because they ordered that for it. So this is the sort of silly stuff that goes on. That is mindless, right? But it's not. You multiply that by a thousand and those things can go wrong every day. We have something I call the little things, as I mentioned to you. These are the little things that we do that are different. We treat, I don't know, I have 10,000 patients between, we have three doctors and four hygienists. There's a lot of things that go wrong. We have referral sources. I have 20 employees. I work with 100 different offices. And we each get 200 emails. Do you know the possibilities that that there are for things to go wrong? And very rarely do they. But that towel dispenser is emblematic of the little thing that is very important. Okay. If there's garbage out there, I'll pick it up and I have to be a role model. So I know it's, 
it starts really from the top, but everybody has to be in alignment. You know, we have to all be aligned because when the tide goes up, it raises everybody. And that's, that's my role is to raise everybody. And I have to have a team that does the same thing. Now I, I try to come in in a good mood every day, but I'm a human being and I'm not. And if I walk in there in a bad mood, I, I see it affects everybody. And my staff has permission to say, Hey, Mike, Dr. Sonic, whatever they want to call me. Hey, snap out of it, man. Snap out of it. You're affecting all of us. I go, sorry. Okay. You're right. You're right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you, you sent me the little things, you know, as, as one of the things that we did before this, this podcast was shot. And I, I love reading through it. You know, there's a lot of things that we could get into, but unfortunately we don't have a, a, a huge amount of time. So I want to make sure people know how to get a hold of you, how to find your book, and, and hopefully it can be the start of maybe changing some of that culture. Yeah. Well, I, I trained with a guy called Peter Diamandis, and he's a thought leader out in Silicon Valley. He's one of the most influential thought leaders in the country. And I go out there every year and I spend four days at a conference. And he's he wants everybody who's at that conference to have a moonshot. And moonshot being something that you want that's going to affect billions of people. My moonshot is to change the way healthcare is delivered. And I'm trying to get that message out there through my books, through my talks, through influencing other people. And I'm creating a network of like-minded individuals, like my friend Bob Levine, who's a periodontist that lectures a lot, and Jeffrey Thomas, you know, and John Coyce, who you probably know, you know, he's endorsed the book. So I have over 170 endorsements from thought leaders in dentistry, in medicine, and in business. And um, I'm hoping that they'll they'll make a difference. But if you want more about this, you can go to my website, which is my name michaelsonic.com. Um, you can get uh, my book there. My book is on Amazon. You can buy the videos from the website. If you want me to come in and host a, some, a talk for your team or, or for, for, you know, I do a lot of, you know, larger lectures for, for staffs and team. I do a lot of that. That's, that's been relatively helpful. Um, I have gone, I've given about 10 talks in the last year of over 200 to close to 900 people. And that's, that's for the whole team. I don't want to come in and talk to doctors. I don't want to come to the American Academy of Parentology, ADA. I want to come in and talk to 10 offices with, with 20 people there and start to work through some of these exercises. And we have a number of exercises we do, like creating like a why statement. Why do you go to work every day? Is it to fix teeth? Is it to make money? Or is it to like improve the quality of patients' lives? You know, the, the, we, we try to get a little thoughtful about that. And, you know, to, to be, make people mindful of what people are looking at when they look at you. They look at everything. They're looking at your hair, your eyes, your nails, your clothes, your shoes, you know, how you present yourself, you know, all, all of that. And, um, you know, and I, and I do that too. We do, we do that unconsciously. We are judging people. We're, ju- we're meaning making machines. We judge everybody all the time, whether it's consciously or not, it just happens. And, you know, it, it really works. It, it really works uh, to your advantage or disadvantage. I know that this has been a huge boost for our audience. I know that they've, they've learned some things from it, and I hope they'll reach out to you. Uh, we're going to have Dr. Sonic's name and website in the show notes, so make sure that you check out that. Uh, you know, and Dr. Sonic, I love what you're doing out there and how you're changing cultures and how you're changing perceptions. So thanks so much for being on today. I really do appreciate it. It was totally my pleasure. Thank you. We love bringing in people who want to make your day better, like Dr. Sonic. So glad that he was on today. And thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on another episode of the Dental Assistimation Podcast. <laughs>